my brethren and sisters, I recall uh, many years ago that Brother Dunaway, who was sort of a prop for the younger brethren whenever they were endeavoring to try to do something for the truth. And he told me one time, he says, uh, one thing to remember is whenever you get up to go to make a talk, don't go to offering any excuses. Just get up and go to exhorting upon your subject. <clears throat> but I want to, you know, just digress a little from that instruction and say that probably those who never get up here uh, might think that it's an easy task. <clears throat> but I am telling the truth about usually when I get up here, I'm weak in my knees and I'm trembling in my elbows. And that's exactly what I'm right now. It would look like that as time goes on, that we would have more confidence in ourselves somewhat. But uh, I guess the general thought that would run through a brother's mind is, uh, is he able to exhort upon his subject and tell the brethren and sisters something that would be valuable to them in their race for eternal life? And, uh, of course, if we fail, if we fail to give something that uh, they will remember, there's a possibility that we have failed. Uh -huh. Now, uh, I don't have these figures at hand, but I believe it's safe in saying that the chief thing that Christ Jesus spoke about when he was here during his short period of usefulness was about the kingdom of God. Now if his continual subject and all of the things that he usually had to say uh, dovetailed directly or indirectly to the subject of the kingdom of God, why can't we assume that the kingdom of God must be a very important subject, a very important thing. <clears throat> now, if we can get that in our mind, and then uh, we'll say this to those who were not here last Sunday, that in connection with the memorial service, I had this uh, few thoughts that in 1 Corinthians, we have the two places where it says, remember. Then, attaching, we'll say, importance to those words, why then we went over to Peter, 2 Peter, and we found there that there are, he said to remember. And what were we to remember? That in the last days that there were liable to be people who would come among you bringing false doctrine and false teachings, where that the very elect may be lost. See? All right, then, if we are to listen to this teacher, Christ, which we are, and the other thing that I brought out was remember what he said. 
And these things were, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. And he emphasized it the third time to Peter, feed my sheep. And I read someplace this week where it said something that Peter was thought that he was heartbroken that Jesus brought again to his attention the third time. In other words, it was bringing back to Peter's mind that he said that before the cock crows the third time, you will deny me. But the fact was brought out that after that time, there was no danger of Peter forsaking or denying his Savior. <clears throat> now, in connection with the thought today, the shepherd of Israel. I'm going to say have a few remarks about this chapter that was read, about the little flock. In other words, in the song that we just sang, that we sung here, few in number, little flock. <clears throat> some more of it in here someplace, but remember that in the days of the preaching of Christ that he brought out the lessons that he wanted to leave with the people by giving them examples of, uh, to, in comparison so with the things that were happening in their day so that they could get the lesson. See? All right, now that's what is brought in here about the sheep. Because in that day, one of the things that was in Israel were the sheep. And in the teachings of the Scripture, it is brought out many times about the sheep. And uh, you see here the Jews couldn't understand what this lesson was. Uh, but there, there was a deep lesson in there. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, said, uh, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke 12, 32. To give you the kingdom. What tender, tender loving care is expressed in these words? The kingdom was ever and still is the goal toward which the little flock is pressing. In no age was there ever more than a little flock of believers. John affectionately said, Little children, abide in him, that where he is and when he is manifested, ye shall have boldness, and not be ashamed of his coming. First John 2 28, I believe it is. The little children were the little flock who were ever looking for the coming of the Savior because they knew their reward was with Him. My sheep hear my voice. That's what Jesus said. And I know them, and they follow me. How enduring the words of Jesus. Now let us reflect upon them. It was not by chance that Jesus selected sheep to represent his brethren. It was on account of their habits. They are quiet. Now if you're the sheep or the lamb, 
remember what these qualities are that are given here. They are quiet. They are inoffensive. Quite particular what they eat and what they drink. Yet, wary. W-A-R-Y. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. When a sheep no longer hears his master's voice and no longer follows him, does a shepherd does the shepherd continue to know him? From the above statement, it would appear not. What did he say? My sheep hear my voice and I know them. <laughs> Sometimes we'll say we do not hear what the, the shepherd is saying. The shepherd does not drive. But what does he do? He goes before, and they know his voice, and they follow him. Now, we're talking about actual sheep right here. <clears throat> they will not follow a strange voice. They will flee from it. The account we have in the scripture lesson this morning is one of the many instances in which Jesus referred to some familiar scene or activity to illustrate or drive home some fundamental teaching or truth. At that time, the relationship between the shepherd and his sheep was much more, in that day, more intimate than it is here in our day with us. Here sheep usually are so many animals in our, in our vicinity and in our day. Sheep usually are so many animals turned out to pasture in some fenced-in field. To them, a hireling is about the same as the owner. But in Palestine, during the time of Jesus' sojourn there, a shepherd's business was to look after his sheep. He gave practically his whole time to it, which was necessary for various reasons, chief of which was that there were not many fences in Palestine, and his sheep might trespass on his neighbor's fields or lands. Also, they might get lost or be torn by wolves. Therefore, because of this constant companionship, there was a much closer intimacy between the shepherd and his sheep. He often called them by name, and they knew and trusted him as they would no other man. On account, an account is given of a man, we'll say in our day, visiting Palestine, who was skeptical of Christ's statement that the sheep know their shepherd's voice? To prove that this was not true, the visitor persuaded a shepherd to let him make a test. <clears throat> the shepherd co uh, coached this man in voice, in the manner of his voice, and in the manner of calling the sheep. And he put on the shepherd's outer garments. Then, approaching the sheep, he called a name. That would be the name of one of the sheep. 
No notice. Again he called. The sheep lifted its head and looked, then returned to grazing. Again he called a third time, and the sheep ran away from him, which earned for the skeptic the hearty laughter of the shepherd. Another visitor to Palestine said that the sheep follow the shepherd out to the pastures and make every turn that he makes, one behind the other, not in droves or in herds, as we might expect. It is necessary that we note this intimacy between the shepherd and his sheep in order to get the full force of Jesus' statement, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If any of us, in the greatest of humbleness, should perform the important task of feeding the sheep or the lambs, shall we not be most scrupulous and exacting in selecting that food which contains the proper nutriments for that particular brother or sister? The Word contains many different kinds of fruit. The Word of God, the Bible, contains many different kinds of fruits, and we should carefully analyze our ability in selecting the proper diet so that the recipient may increase in health and in stature in the truth. The Good Shepherd, Christ Jesus, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, may we pursue a little further the question of the shepherd of Israel. In the first, in the uh, first verse of the 23rd Psalm, it reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now let's get in our minds that we're going way back in the Scripture now, before the time of Christ. The writer David no doubt attributed these words to the God of Israel. For the same word in the Hebrew, which is, is here rendered, Lord, in the English version, is that which David used when he said, Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of man. The original word is Jehovah. It is used in Psalm in the 105 and the first verse, Jehovah said unto Adon, or as we have in English, the Lord said unto my Lord, which is not very enlightening to an English reader. And when we come down to the New Testament times, we read in the Gospel of John, in this 10th chapter, 11 through 14, of Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, and not only so, but that he is the only shepherd. For he says, Other sheep have I, which are not of this fold. Them also must I bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. The idea that is presented here in the word shepherd is one that feedeth sheep. The individual that careth 
and watcheth over them at all times. The term sheep is a symbolic word representing the Lord's people as spoken through the prophet Ezekiel. And ye my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men, and I am your God, saith the Lord God. The psalmist, by inspiration, says in Psalms 23:2, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Or, as a margin reads, waters of stillness. This language is highly figurative, as the natural sheep delight in the plentiful green grass and eat to the full, and lie down and ruminate, and supplied with plenty of unruffled waters. So we, as sheep of a higher character, rejoice in Jehovah as our shepherd in caring for our welfare, supplying us with spiritual food and the water of life contained in the covenants of promise. And besides all that provision of wisdom in the word and providence connected with his institutions, with the privilege of going into the sanctuary, that's us, if we're worthy, and there learning of the hope of immortality for all that put their trust in Jehovah. This leads us to the third verse, where he exclaims, He restoreth my soul, which carries our thoughts to a period beyond this life. David in the 16th Psalm says, Jehovah is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. I have set Jehovah always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in Hades or Sheol, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In the presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He he, how nicely this agrees with the fourth and sixth verses of the psalm. We are considering, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Jehovah forever. In the second chapter of Acts, we find the Apostle Peter making quotation from the 16th Psalm, and he applies it to, uh, to Christ. For proof, read, we'll say, the 22nd and the 24th verses, and then, then in the 25th verse he says, For David speaketh concerning him, as referring to Christ, thus substituting Christ for Jehovah, that this was right for the apostle to do, inasmuch as he was an inspired servant of God, and therefore reliable in leading our minds to rightly divide the word of truth, that we can find a place for the past, and another place for the present, and another, if we need be, for the future. Now who, we will say, who is this shepherd of Israel? <clears throat> now, in order to illustrate the apostle, Peter, 
construction in this matter, we will refer to the testimony bearing on the subject. Jacob is uh, foretelling what shall befall his sons as given in Genesis. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow abide in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. This scripture introduces another shepherd for our consideration, one that should represent in person a combination of two ancestors, even Joseph and the mighty God of Jacob. But some may wonder if this scripture refers to Jesus, how it can be applied seeing that Jesus descended from the tribe of Judah and not from Joseph. So in order to elucidate the difficulty, we bring another testimony to bear. In 1 Chronicles, verses, in 1 Chronicles 5, 1 and 2, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but inasmuch as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler, but the birthright was Joseph's. Again, in agreement with the statement that the birthright is given to Joseph's sons, see Jeremiah 31.9. They shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water, and in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. So we see that the literal facts were ignored. Manasseh was Joseph's oldest son. Nevertheless, Ephraim, the youngest son, was chosen to succeed to the birthright, not only of Joseph, but also of Israel. This was looking for what was to be accomplished in a good while to come. As regards Jesus then, as the shepherd, the stone of Israel descended from Joseph. As to his character, for Joseph was a model man, superior in moral worth and faith and trust in Jehovah to all his father's sons. So from Joseph as to birthright, and the mighty God of Jacob came Jesus anointed, the good shepherd. The office of shepherd of Israel never lapsed, but it merged in the fullness of time on the principle of the memorial name, Eliah Asher Eiah, or I will be who I will be. How this was accomplished and when it came to pass is very nicely set forth in John 5:17. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh. <coughs> but Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. As much as to say, Jehovah, my father, has been attending by his agents to the great work of superintending the affairs of his people. And now he has appointed me 
by his anointing, by his superintending the affairs of his people. And now he has appointed me by his anointing me with his spirit and power to carry on the work. Therefore, I can say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, and, and I am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I will bring, must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. The psalmist addressing Jehovah writes, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, Thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up thy strength and save us. Turn us again, O God, and face thy face to and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. You see the importance of what the shepherd is doing here, the leader, contemplating the Christ. In verse 17, he says. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the Son of Man, whom thou madest strong for thyself. In a secondary sense, the priests and Levites were shepherds over the people of Israel. And the Spirit speaking through Ezekiel says, Son of Man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Yea, eat the fat, and ye clothe you with your wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. The judgments and denunciations of Jehovah are very plainly recorded against Israel's teachers and leaders, for the leaders cause the people to err, as it is in our own day. Israel was scattered upon the mountains, the shepherd forsook them, but Jehovah has promised to restore them to their own land. He says, Therefore will I save my flock, and they shall no more be a prey. And I will set up my shepherd, one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, uh, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Ezekiel 34. <clears throat> not now, not only is Jesus referred to in the prophecy of Jacob concerning the shepherd of Israel, but he is also set forth as the stone of Israel. The psalmist says, The stone which the builders refused to become the head of the corner, the stone of the corner. Our Lord applies this testimony to himself in Matthew 21:42, where he said, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scripture the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Daniel in his prophecy represents Christ as a stone cut out of the mountain. And afterwards it became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Before this he was a stone of stumbling, and he was a rock of offense. 
But by others he is recognized even now as a tried stone, a sure foundation upon which we can build our confidence and look with joyful expectation for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ to establish this glorious kingdom. He will not come as he did before as a lamb to the slaughter, nor as a sheep dumb before his shears, for this he has done once. This is told in Isaiah. He will show the marks in his hands and in his feet and bruises he received in the house of his friends. This is a matter not to be forgotten. The remembrance of the death of Christ is not to be forgotten. The Apostle John saw him portrayed in the visions of the Apocalypse, not only as a lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, that prevailed to open the book and to loosen the seven seals thereof. And he says, And I beheld him low in the midst of the throne, and of four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it has been slain, having seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Christ is the lowly attitude, in the lowly attitude of a lamb, slain in type from the foundation of the world, and actually set forth and crucified for us, still retains the characteristic quality of the good shepherd for his people. And John saw a view of the great multitude of the redeemed, which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them for any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them into living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. These glowing words are written for our encouragement, and that we may be reminded that we were once compared to sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishops of our souls. We have not had the privilege that some enjoyed during the personal ministry of Christ, of seeing him. But Jesus has said, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The Apostle Peter exhorted the elders to feed the flock which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples of the flock to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now in our end com comments we have this. <clears throat> now shall we take a realistic view or appraisal of ourselves? We, human nature, is ever prone to go astray. For the carnal mind is not subject to the will of God. 
Man inherits this wayward disposition from his progenitor, Adam, who, while created very good, fell away from that good estate. By disobeying God, he brought sin and death upon the human family. The little flock, through their faith in Jehovah's plans and in Jehovah's promises and in baptism, into the shepherd's name have become heirs of eternal life. And all the blessing promised to the faithful. The world now, we'll say, is full of trouble. We are all helpless in the face of this condition. And so we pray for the coming of the shepherd, the king of that kingdom, which Luke said it was the Father's good pleasure to give. For until he comes, things will not improve. So, few in number, little flock, by the world despised for God. Fear not. Arm ye for the fight. God can bless you with his might. I thank you.